On today's episode of the Essential Coaching Skills Podcast, we're going to take a look at NLP's The Meta Model. The Meta Model is a way of asking questions to recover lost information, be it distorted or generalized or deleted from the person's sentence structure. You got to know this stuff. And sometimes, by the way, if you ask enough questions from The Meta Model, your job's done. You are listening to the Essential Coaching Skills Podcast a show devoted to uncovering the systems and the secrets that set the best apart, where you learn how to take your coaching clients to the next level, while you grow the coaching practice of your dreams. So sit back and relax, or sit up and get excited. Either way, you might want to pay attention. This could be important. Hi there, Doug O'Brien here. Glad to have you aboard. Today we're going to be talking about uh, uh, an aspect of neuro-linguistic programming that I consider to be essential. In fact, it is the thing that I thought of at first when I first said, you know, that's an essential coaching skill. I should start something called essential coaching skills because that's one of them. That I don't know how anybody can do coaching without that. It seems downright essential. And that is the part of NLP that actually some people might not even think of as NLP, curiously. NLP's gotten kind of a weird rap, probably of its own making, uh, indirectly or directly, I don't know, over the years. But that is of it being kind of a persuasion thing. You can persuade people to do stuff that you want them to do through the powers of NLP. And, you know, I, I will admit I also teach a thing called sleight of mouth, which is a persuasion skill in the field of NLP. But NLP goes a lot further than just persuasion. In fact, my belief is that even with sleight of mouth, in order to persuade someone, you've got first to be able to listen to them. You've got to be able to communicate. You know, part of communication, communication is the community, the communing with the other person, listening to them. I've often used the analogy that, you know, God gave us two ears and one mouth. So the <laughs> idea of communication is to listen first and then speak. The uh, idea of that, in fact, is echoed quite prominently in one of the seven habits of highly effective people by Stephen Covey. I don't know if you're familiar with that book. If you're not, get it. It's really amazingly brilliant. It's probably one of the better self-help books of all time, in my estimation. And yeah, it was great in, in, in very, very many ways. Stephen Covey's work, all of it is great. And um, in that book, one of the essentials, one of the seven habits of highly effective people that he puts forth is the ability to listen. Basically, the idea is to seek to understand before you seek to be understood. So you want to understand, you want to listen, you want to unpack, you want to know really specifically what the person's saying. Now, neuro-linguistic programming, or NLP, actually starts there. A lot of people, like I said, have misconceptions about it, and we take we have to take some of the blame for that. And people who are really astute or really well-versed and uh, studied NLP a long time ago, or, you know, in depth, know this. They know that it started. In fact, it, it started with Bandler and Grinder, the two founders of NLP. Richard Bandler was kind of a genius student, um, computer programmer, and various other things. But uh, his partner, John Grinder, was a linguist. He was a 
professor of linguistics at the University of Santa Cruz in California. And one of the first things they created as neuro-linguistic programming was this thing called the meta-model. The meta-model. The meta-model is saying, hey, everyone out there, every human being who expresses themselves in language takes liberties, let's just say. In other words, they distort the representations. They delete certain bits of information. They generalize about things. Every single communication, every utterance, every sentence, every paragraph, every, every communication has those three things. Distortions, deletions, and generalizations. The meta model is NLP's effort to retrieve some of that distorted, generalized, or lost information. It's, it's a series of questions. If you've been listening to the podcast, we've been talking about questions. This is kind of the heart of it. This is where it gets down to the most basic level. Questions that unearth and unpack exactly what it is the person means. As close as we can in human language. One of the things that NLP notices is that we create models of the world. We create maps of the external world around us that represent the world, represent the world inside of our own heads. And they say in NLP that we act on the model, not on the territory. It's also a presupposition of NLP that the map is not the territory, that what's real out there is not what we represent. When we represent in our brain is by necessity going to be distorted, deleted, and generalized. Think about maps for a moment. If you have a map of a let's say a national park, maybe you're going camping, right? You got a map. Maybe it's a paper map, the old-fashioned kind of thing, or maybe it's on your phone. Either way, it's going to be what? It's going to be two-dimensional, isn't it? You've just arrived at, you know, Yellowstone Park or whatever. It's huge. There are millions of acres. There are mountains. There are trees. There are rivers. Your map is going to fold onto your lap, you know, or maybe across the picnic table. And it's all flat. There's no terrain, there's no mountains, there's no water, there's no rivers, there's no snow or animals. It's a map. It's a representation of that. It's really valuable, right? You can read a map and you can say, oh, this road goes there over by that mountain and that stream and I can go camp there. That's what I want to do. And you can find that representation of the road that you're driving on that leads you to the stream that you can see over there, right? That's great to have a map, but the map is not the territory. Obviously, right? And yet most people don't recognize that they are doing that all the time. We do this all the time. We are, we have to, basically. We have to. We can't represent the world as it is in our side of our brain. It's just not possible. So we act upon this representation that we make. Then if we start describing the representation to somebody else and say, yeah, I just really feel stuck. Let's say you've got a coach client and they come in and they say, I really feel stuck about this business proposition I'm working on. You know, I feel stuck. Well, that's a metaphor, isn't it? I feel stuck. It's like I'm stuck in some goo or something. I'm stuck. I can't move forward. Right? It's a representation. They're not physically stuck. They don't have any goo, I don't think, probably. Maybe they do, in which case your job is clear. But for the most part, it's metaphorical, isn't it? And so you say, well, what do you mean? How do you mean that exactly? In what way specifically are you stuck? 
Say, well, you know, because blah, blah, blah. And then they'll start telling you more information, right? So they've gone from this very generalized representation, generalized map that they've said is stuck. Maybe in their picture of a map, there's a picture of a person themselves walking through a quagmire and they're just, you know, feet are stuck in the mud. That's maybe that their representation in their mind. And you say, well, how specifically are you stuck in this particular business enterprise that you're engaged in? And then I say, well, what I really mean is blah, 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 blah. And they'll give you a, a deeper explanation. Now, interestingly, no matter how detailed and rich of a picture than they paint for you, that they describe in words to you, it's still going to be a representation, isn't it? It's still going to be a map. You're never going to have a, uh, you know, a one-to-one representation of Yellowstone Park, because then you'd have a map that would be the same size as Yellowstone Park. It would make no sense whatsoever and be impossible and ridiculous. So you can't do that. It's not ever going to be the same. So no matter how detailed, maybe you get a, a, a map that is the size of the of the picnic table out there, and it's maybe it's holographic in some way, so the little mountains stick up on it, and you can get really detailed and like that. It's pretty amazing. It's still a representation, right? Same thing with language. Same thing with language. No matter how thoroughly I describe to you how stuck I am and how I'm stuck, it's going to be a representation. So it's going to inherently have distortions, deletions, and generalizations in the languaging of it. So we, as coaches, need to be able to ask questions to to get a more detailed description. We need to be able to say, well, how specifically is that true? Where specifically are you stuck? In what way are you stuck? And we have to ask a lot of questions. And this is the skill that I think is critical if not, therefore, essential to being a good coach is to ask these kinds of questions. Now, if you've been listening to other podcasts, you've heard me talk about this sort of thing with other people. And sometimes good, well-trained coaches who maybe know nothing about NLP fully embrace this idea, probably know that they need to ask good questions. They fully know that they have to ask questions to unpack the more accurate representation of what the person's talking about. They've got the same process maybe with a slightly different system you know it's like having a different computer that does the same job it's not a mac it's a pc but it is still you can do computations on it you know so they've got different systems however it is that you do it it's critical that you do it over the years i've been teaching a lot of nlp classes I teach Ericksonian hypnosis classes and, you know, other parts of hypnosis that aren't necessarily Ericksonian in nature that I've learned from various sources over the years. I find what works, you know, and teach that. And one of the things that I've noticed is that when we start off the basics of NLP and hypnosis, because they're very closely related, NLP and hypnosis and Ericksonian hypnosis, it's another story, but Suffice it to say, they're very closely closely related. I often teach some of the same basics in both these classes. And those basics are how to observe the person and how to observe the communication that they are communicating, whether in words or nonverbal communication, body language, etc. Right? So we try to observe people and make clean interpretations. 
without going into the um, conclusion, not jumping to any conclusions, we're seeing a, a clean interpretation. So as an example, we might look at a person who responds in a certain way and we ask, what are you noticing? And, uh, and we said so the class, we, we lead to these clean interpretations, things like, well, I can see that he's sitting a little bit more upright, his, his spine straightened, and he is about an inch taller now on the shoulders than he was a, a moment ago. And, and I've noticed that the corners of his lips are curving upwards in a kind of smile shape. And I've noticed that his um, teeth are showing a little bit more than they were before. And as breathing has increased, you know, so we get these clean interpretations of exactly what we're observing, not jumping to a, a conclusion saying, well, he looks happy. I think he's happy now. He's, oh, he's, he's really a happy guy. You know, we don't jump to those conclusions. That is a conclusion that maybe is correct or not. So we want to start from clean interpretations, clean not interpretations, I'm sorry, clean perceptions before we get to the interpretations. Clean perceptions before you get the interpretations. Interestingly, uh, as an aside, the uh, skill that I've taught many times and talked about a few minutes ago called sleight of mouth has to do with, NLP. it's an NLP persuasion skill. I learned it from Robert Diltz many years ago. I've written a book on it, etc. But it's interesting because the idea of sleight of hand and sleight of mouth, you know, sleight of mouth was named after the magic trick aspect of, of, of magic, where it's sleight of hand. Sleight of hand has to do with manipulation of cards. You know, very often magicians use playing cards and they do these card tricks or coins. They make a coin disappear and it's like, where'd it go? It's like sleight of hand. They've palmed it. They've done different things with it. If you know about magic and, you know, I'm sure you know what I mean by they, they palm it. If you don't, you can Google it and you probably know really what it means, right? So sleight of hand is that sort of thing. And what Robert Diltz taught me all those years ago when I first learned sleight of mouth from him in my master practitioner training back a while ago was that it's not about a failed perception, right? It's the perception is 100%. According to Aristotle, everything we see, we, we take in 100% of information, right? So right now, this microphone that's in the room right now that I'm talking into that you hear my voice through is just taking in sound. It, it's not discriminating. It's not paying attention to me. I'm the closest thing to it, but it's just taking in sound. It's getting all the sound. It probably picks up the sound of the clock ticking occasionally. I don't know if you can hear that. Yeah. There it is. Clock ticking. Yeah. So it picks it all up. And sometimes if you've ever had the experience of, of having a, a meeting or something, and you've got a microphone in the middle of the table and you expect that the conversation will be just as clear as it was when you recorded it. And you listen back to the playback and you hear all this, you know, bumping of stuff on the table and, you know, people cracking their nails or pouring water into a glass or you hear the elevator ding out, and you know, all kinds of stuff that you didn't pay attention to in the meeting, but the microphone picked it up because the microphone isn't distorting, isn't deleting, isn't generalizing. It isn't focusing on a particular voice and ignoring all the other sounds in the room. It's picking it all up. Well, guess what? So are you. So is your 
your eyeballs, so are, are your ears, everything, you're picking it all up, but you are making sure that you focus on just certain things. Your brain ignores the sound of the ticking clock, it ignores the sound of the, the crunching of the paper or the bumping of the table. It ignores all that. It ignores all that. Right? We we generalize. So magic is about that the perceptions may be 100%, but what the magician does is he directs or she directs your attention to something like, take a look at this card here over my left hand. And you go like, whoa, look at that. And meanwhile, he or she has palmed the other card in their right hand and you're not looking there. And meanwhile, he's slipping into his, his jacket pocket, right? And then, oh, where'd the card go? Is this your card? And it's just amazing. It's magic. But it's not a failure of your perception. It's a failure of your interpretation. Does it make sense? So sleight of hand is about changing, directing your attention in certain ways and changing your interpretation of what's perceived to be important, right? We think this is important, so we ignore everything else. So in language, we are often, in a sense, doing that same thing. We are distorting and changing what we're perceiving, right? So getting back to language, we want to be able to ask questions that help to unpack the distortions, un and, and, and reveal finally the, the deletions and, and things that have been deleted and generalized. We want to know exactly as close as possible what the person means. So the meta model is a series of questions that help you to do that. And it's a brilliant thing that Bandler and Grinder created all those years ago. Interestingly, it really was one of the very, very first things they created this meta model where they would ask questions. Well, how specifically do you know that? Where specifically did that come from? Who specifically says that? You know, this kind of stuff. But interestingly, according to Robert Diltz, they soon realized that there was a another skill that they probably needed first. They probably needed rapport skills and um, the ability to establish and maintain rapport throughout a conversation because um, after John Grinder taught the meta model to a bunch of freshmen in a you know linguistics 101 class and where he probably had like 200 students in the classroom but my understanding of the class as robert diltz described it is it was one of those large classes where he taught it on a maybe on a thursday afternoon and it met again the following tuesday and he's like set these kids loose on santa cruz for the weekend and they just became you know, meta monsters. Because anytime anybody said anything, they said, well, really? Well, how specifically do you mean that? How, you went to the store? How did you go to the store specifically? You know, and they just were going to a restaurant and it's a, uh, it's a big salad. Well, really? How big is it? Uh, it's just, they were monsters. They're terrible because they had no rapport. They had no rapport. So after they came back and, you know, the, the city was burning <laughs> Tuesday, <laughs> riots had broken out. Um, they said, oh, oh, one thing about <laughs> is don't do it without rapport. Rapport, of course, is probably always going to be the number one most essential skill, no matter what, isn't it? Hold on one second. Sorry, I had a cough coming on, so I paused the recording. Drank a little water. So I'm better now. Thank you. Thank you.
So yeah, rapport. You have to have rapport first and maintain it. So you ask questions nicely. Well, excuse me, how, how specifically do you know that? Or pardon me, how, I know it's a big salad, but how, how big is it exactly? If you were to say in, in cubic centimeters. I know you want to maintain rapport. I don't know how, how you measure salads, probably not cubic centimeters, but you know, you can do it with rapport. I'm sure you understand the concept. So yes, rapport first, specific questions second. Now, let me just give you some examples of what some of the meta model questions are. First of all, it starts with what in the traditional world of NLP we called meta model violations. So in other words, people were putting in generalizations, they were putting in distortions, they were putting in deletions, they were leaving things out. So one of the very simplest, most basic NLP meta model questions is from the simple deletion. Simple deletion. They left something out of the sentence. Of course they're going to. No matter, like I said, no matter what sentence you use, there's always going to be distortions, deletions, and generalizations. It just has to be. The map is never going to be the same size as Yellowstone Park, right? So a simple deletion is something like if I said, it's great. Well, what's great? What, what specifically is great? What are you talking about? Right? It is far too generalized, isn't it? What is it? Who is it? What's great about it is another question. But he went there. Who's he? Where did he go? Right? These are simple deletions, just something left out of the sentence. So we want to fine-tune our ears to listen for these things that are left out and say, well, I'm sorry, what specifically is it? And who's he? And where did he go? Then you can ask other questions like, what's great about it? How specifically is it great? Great compared to what? Those are other meta-model violations, so therefore other questions. But it, you, see, you see how it's working, right? So a simple deletion is something that's simply left out. Now, if you were applying this same questioning to what I just said, you could say, simply left out of what? Right? Because my sentence had a deletion in it. I didn't say left out of what? I could say it was left out of the sentence. You could say, well, which sentence? How specifically was it left out? You could ask questions constantly. So remember always in the back of your mind, Rapport first. Rapport first. Simple deletions is the most basic of the um, metamodel questions. And truly, honestly, essential. Essential. Why? Because people jump to conclusions. Just like the example before of saying, wow, he's, his, his spine is a little straighter. He's, he's curling his lips up. He's breathing differently. He's happy. Well, maybe he is. Maybe he's happy. You know, maybe he's grimacing. We don't know. So when you jump to conclusions about things, it doesn't help anybody. We want to be able to be sure we understand as much as possible, specifically what the person is saying. And that's where the meta model comes in. So you want to be able to listen first, listen sensitively, listen compassionately, and listen precisely to what it is the person is attempting to communicate. Ask good questions to get more clarity about what that is. Do not jump to conclusions and always maintain rapport. These are some of the most essential coaching skills that I think you can have. If you go to essential coaching skills 
com. Um, there's a lot of podcast opportunities there, things you can listen to of various things. And I will be posting more information there about the meta model that you'll be able to download as time goes on. It's not there at the moment as I record this in uh, February of 2021, but it will be there. I'm going to put that there. I'm going to make it available to people for free, that it will be just something that you can find there at EssentialCoachingSkills.com as my gift to you. Because it's essential. Everyone should know how that how to do the the meta model. It is important. It's critical. It's critical. <laughs> it's important. It's critical. And um, when you do it with rapport, you can you can ask all kinds of really good questions and really get to the heart of the matter that is going to be important for you and your client to truly understand. When you can do that, you create much um, better forms of communication, much deeper understanding, and you can really help your clients in a much more effective way. Thank you. This has been the Essential Coaching Skills Podcast. Thank you for being here. It's a pleasure seeing you again. Hope to see you again real soon. Come back next week when we have another gripping and exciting episode of the Essential Coaching Skills Podcast. And if you want to, you can find out more about us each and every one of us at EssentialCoachingSkills.com. Thanks. Thanks.